Welcome back to the Andrew Curtis Show. And this week, if you've been listening for a while, you know that I have a passion for understanding how do we create ideal growth environments and also to a fascination around how do we change thinking? And so that has led me very happily to speak to today's guest, uh, because when we talk about changing thinking, an expression of that is the world of innovation. And so I'm joined today by Jay Rao, who is a professor at Babson College, uh, the number one college in the United States for entrepreneurship. So we're talking about developing thought leaders and, and, uh, and entrepreneurs, and also those with a social conscience too. Jay's expertise has also um, created a platform to him to speak into some of the largest uh, and most influential companies in the world as well. And so it is my privilege to welcome here on the show today, Jay. Thank you for making the time to talk to me. Oh, it's a pleasure, Andrew. Thank you for inviting me. So look, we were when we were getting ready for this conversation, we started to talk a little bit about just the word innovation and how that there's so much attached to that and a lot of misunderstanding and things get labeled as innovation, which probably don't deserve to bear the title. So why don't we start at that point and just see where this conversation takes us? Tell me about innovation from your perspective. What does it mean? So as as I was mentioning, it's 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 a word that's highly abused, misused and overused. And so today we need to be careful about it and and what it does, what it is and what it is not. Mm. And innovation has to be something that is of use to society, something that is meaningful to society. Mm. Uh, uh, and from a business perspective, innovation has to change the dynamics of competition in the market. Right. If it doesn't really change that, the dynamics or, or say a market share or, or usage by customers in, in different ways, then it's, is it really innovative or are you just catching up with the rest of your competitors? Mm. So be, Things that are new to a company doesn't mean that they're new to the world. Right. And things that are new to a company doesn't mean it is new to the to the industry. Yeah. Okay. But but in its eagerness uh, of of kind of kind of labeling everything innovative, mm. uh, we are just completely kind of undermining or even making this word completely useless. Yeah. Okay. And so that's the first thing I want to make sure we understand is that uh, it's Peter Drucker, the famous management guru, he was the one who would take this pretty tough position on, (laughs) yes, it has to somehow give you some kind of a competitive edge in the market. Okay. You, it has to change the game in the market in some fashion. Mm-hmm. And so, or, uh, for example, uh, in 2003, uh, when a really harmless, stupid feature was introduced into our cell phones. Mm-hmm. And that really stupid feature was called the front camera. Front right, system. yep. And there was no fanfare. Nobody kind of went and made mega announcements 
And yeah. there was this front-facing camera. Uh, I don't even remember which company introduced it. I don't know, Samsung or, or Motorola or one of these companies. Yeah. And, but it changed human behavior forever. <laughs> that is so true. <laughs> right? Yeah. So at times, innovation can kind of hit you in the face and yeah. you don't even recognize for years that <laughs> you know it is a bloody big innovation right right so, so when you when you're dealing with companies then who uh you know how do you help people see the difference in those in those two things are there any examples you can give me of how in in business somebody has just been labeling something as a as an innovative change when it's really just continuing the status quo in a different fashion yeah, I mean, you come across companies in all industries doing this. Mm. And they said, yeah, we are a very innovative company. Uh, but all they did was uh, a founder or an entrepreneur found a little niche in the market mm. and took advantage of that gap in the market uh, and and then kind of created a business. And that grew. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but are they really innovative? Probably not. It's most, how does most innovation happen? The majority of innovation is, is usually through copying. Right. Okay. okay. If you ask artists, artists, you can't just pick up your pen one day and say, I'm going to, I'm going to be a songwriter. Sure. Or even when you're a painter, you first copy the masters. Sure, yeah. Okay. So it's only over time that they get to have their own signature and and kind of put their own imprint on it. And, and so the more you copy, the more creative you get. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. It, Tell me more about and, that, actually. That's that's really interesting there. So all, all of humanity, we grow up copying. We Kids learn by copying others. Right. Yeah. And they tend to be amazingly creative. Right, yeah. Okay? So it's, it's only in the world of business where we are all the time looking for things that are unique. We keep saying unique customer value proposition. <laughs> yes, right. Okay? But it's complete academic uh, truckload of horseshit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay? yeah. Uh, just because academics have a PhD and they have to have a unique contribution to the world, right? That most that nobody else is interested in. Yeah. So they they have kept teaching. MBAs and undergraduate business students that you have to have a unique value proposition. But most entrepreneurs, most business people don't care for uniqueness. All they care is if there is a gap and if there is an opportunity, they're going to go take it. Wow. So, for example, in, in the United States, if you have 10,000 people in a, in a town it's pretty well known that it can roughly handle at least three pizza places, you know, these tiny corner pizza places, right? Right, yeah, okay. And 
somebody realizes that our neighborhood town has only two. Right. And they say, oh, oh you know what? We can, this town can handle one more pizza place. Right. So you go create just another pizza place. There's nothing really different. Mm. That's what entrepreneurs do. Mm. Okay? Yeah. But if it so happens that this guy identifies over a period of time, 10, 15, 20 such towns that need an extra pizza place, mm. that eventually becomes a, a Papa Gino or a Papa John's or whatever that may be. Yeah, sure. That becomes a chain. Mm. And suddenly this person is a superstar. Right. Okay. And so, whoa, this person innovated. But did they really? Wow. Yeah. They they took advantage of some local gaps that existed in the marketplace. Right? Hmm. And not really unique. I mean, let's take, say, for for instance, Bob Dylan. Okay. His first 10, 20 songs were none of them were original. Right. Yeah. Walt Disney used to copy like crazy. So when he started uh, Disney World, he went to Tivoli Gardens in Denmark and copied everything that he could. <laughs> really? I didn't know that. And so, and Picasso copied like crazy. He made 85 versions of uh, Velasquez's Las Meninas, and today people are paying millions of dollars for it. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Oh, Copying is something very common, but but copying also leads to creativity. Mm. When you try to do exact copying, it doesn't work many mm. times. When you put it in a different little country, when you put it in a different context, it doesn't work, and it forces you to be creative in that moment. Right. Okay? Yeah. So that's how innovation generally happens. Wow. Okay? See, that's a very well, I, well, different kind of thing from, uh, I guess, I, I, when you were speaking before about those examples from a corporate context as well, that I feel there's, there's often a bit of ego in play that says that, yes, we want to be labeled as, yes, I'm innovative, um, but it actually seems to work against itself when we try and do that. Yeah, yeah. No, and again, corporations want people to be innovative, creative, think outside the box. Right. Right. Yeah. But how you can't wake up tomorrow morning and say, Yeah, I'm gonna be creative. Right. Right. So let's so, let's talk about that environment for creativity then, because I, I like where this is this is kind of going. This this makes this idea of innovation I think a lot more accessible as well when we recognize that copying is if I'm hearing you rightly, copying is a key part of that process. It, anybody can do that. Anybody can do it. And so I mean, I see companies spending lots of money on consultants who come and play foosballs and throw things at each other for two <laughs> days and do some design thinking. Crap, and magically on Monday, you're supposed to be innovative and creative in your cubicle that you left for two days. Yeah. Right? And it doesn't, nothing changes, nothing happens. Mm. They're not magically creative on Monday. Mm. So, but... When you give people opportunities to go out, see things, watch, learn, put them in new environments, okay? Mm. And they're able to observe, question, 
and associate, connect the dots. And when they come back to their workplace, then they'll say, oh, you know what? We can change that mm. based on when the Japanese were touring the world in the 70s and the 80s, how did they learn? They were taking photographs nonstop. <laughs> right. And, 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 that's, and they went back and built Japan, rebuilt Japan based on all the pictures that they had taken. Wow. Okay? Yeah. And so, so it was Japan after World War II, which was copying the West. Mm. Today, it's China that's copying the West. India is copying the West. In the 90s, in the early, in the early 80s, I was in Singapore. And at that time, Singapore was obsessed with copying everything that was going on in Hong Kong. Mm. And then I go to Dubai around the year 2000. Dubai was obsessed about copying Singapore. <laughs> okay. So, but today... Facebook is copying uh, WeChat. Amazon yeah. is copying Alibaba. Mm. And Apple is copying Snapchat. Mm. Okay. So copying is a very powerful way of being creative and innovative. Wow. Because each time you change something small and tiny, and you never know where that is going to take you. Sure. And that's where I was telling you about the front-facing camera. Yeah. It was a tiny little stupid thing. <laughs> we always think of innovation as this huge mega stuff that's going to change the world tomorrow. Right. No, not, not most of the time it's not. Hmm. Hmm. See, um, oh, gosh. Uh, yeah. you, you heard of a book called The Slight Edge? No. Um, it's It's... It's generally a, a book more around kind of, uh, you know, planning and goal setting and things like that. But one of the points that um, the writer gets across, who's unfortunately, the na his name escapes me, uh, but just makes this point about how it's these, these tiny little consistent things that are actually so easy to do, they're actually quite easy not to do. Um, that are the things that aggregate over time. And then suddenly we look back and go, wow, look at this incredible new thing we've done. Um, I mean, even as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, you know, yeah, in, in times of my life where I've thought, okay, let's do something different. Um, it's easy to blow it up in your mind to be this massive thing that needs to change. And you go, well, how do I change everything? You know, and then, of course, you freak yourself out and you can't do it. <laughs> tiny, tiny little things. Yeah. So how do you create an environment then where where that is that is a part of your your company, your organization, or even in your own life? No, today the research is pretty good. Okay? okay, in the last thirty years, both psychology and neurology has helped us understand what makes people creative, innovative. Oh, okay, yeah. And so, so that has kind of really helped us. How how do we create these sandboxes? How do we create a climate where people are naturally creative? Mm -hmm. okay? And the thing is that I can't force you to be creative. I can't, I can't actually push you to be creative. In fact, uh, the more performance evaluation I do, uh, you the less creative you get actually. Yeah. Right? Wow, that's a really so, good point. Yeah. So, so as leaders, as managers, the only thing we can do is kind of create this little space where people can play. Mm. Right. 
And so what are some of those, what are the things that we can help them in terms of how can we help set up this little sandbox? And for that, there are, we know, we know what amazingly creative people do. We know what these serial scientists do. We know what these serial entrepreneurs, there are certain patterns that they're kind of looking at all the time. They're mm -hmm. doing the, their mindset and behaviors, their their values and, and behaviors. We kind of know what they are. Okay. For example, these people are amazingly good at questioning. Okay. They're always questioning the status quo. They have this deep-seated belief that there's always a better way to do things. Hmm. They they are like obsessed with kind of uh, kind of improving things all the time. Hmm. Okay. The second the second skill that they have is that... oh hello. Me? Oh, hello. I think we cut out for a second there. You were just about to say the, the second skill. So if you can... Yeah, the yep. second skill. The second skill that they're very good at is observing and listening. Okay. Okay. And you may say, yeah, yeah, everybody observes and listens. No, no, no. But these serial entrepreneurs, serial scientists, they are amazingly good at observing and listening without bias. Okay. Without prejudgment. Okay observing and listening without prejudice. And it is most of the time for us, everybody, everyday human beings, it's very hard for us to observe and listen without pre prejudice. Mm. Our existing knowledge or, and our existing work experiences will always color and bias everything that we observe and listen. Sure. We're always judging things. Mm. Okay. Mm. So it is our own clutter gets in the way. I remember someone <laughs> saying that it's it's a it's a matter of we're always looking to share our existing thinking, sharing yes. things that we already know, but Absolutely. by doing that we we're, we're never listening. Correct. That's ego. Mm, yeah, yeah. We love to hear ourselves. <laughs> True. Right. Yep. And so, but but these great entrepreneurs, they they observe the world as it is for what it is mm. right and th and the third skill is they're amazingly good at connecting the dots right okay i saw this in one industry hey let me take it to a different industry mm. i saw this you know the cattle uh, the, the uh the conveyor belt was carrying pigs in the slaughterhouse mm. and Ford, Henry Ford says, oh, why the hell can't I do that for my cars? Yeah, right. Which is right? that copying thing again that you're talking about, right? That ability just to copy stuff and feel fine about it. Yeah, the, the, you know, academics call it associative thinking. <laughs> it's yeah. a fancy word for copying. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah. Right? Mm. So, uh, so these people are amazingly good at that. Mm. But how can we as humans become better at questioning, mm. observing and listening without bias, and and copying and stealing legally? Mm. Right? Yeah, right. We all can get better at this. We all can learn how to do this. 
Mm. And for that, for that you need to do a lot of immersion in a diversity of thinking. Okay. okay. So Clayton Christensen and his colleagues, they call it networking. Yeah, okay. okay. Uh, I'm basically talking about um, Clayton Christensen and his colleagues have called it the innovator's DNA. Okay, yeah. Right. And and so, oh, I'm sorry about that in the background. Uh, I'm going to kill that. Uh, so, oh, sorry. Okay. So good. No uh, and so these, so why are they, why are they able to do all these skills so well? Yeah. It's because they expose themselves to a variety of things. They expose okay. themselves to a diversity of situations. Mm. And our minds are much more open when we are actually in uncomfortable situations. Okay. Our brain is a lazy brain. Right, okay. okay. The default mode of the brain is not to think. Right. Okay. okay. Why Why is our brain lazy? Our brain is lazy because the brain takes up the maximum amount of energy in the body. Sure. 20% of glucose is actually taken away by the brain. Mm. So the, the body wants to conserve its glucose. And it says, you know what? The best way is not to think. <laughs> right. Okay. Here is the bad news. So there's a lazy brain and a hardworking brain. Yeah. The... The bad news is that the lazy brain is the boss of the hardworking brain. Right. Okay. So mm. that's the default mode. Mm. Okay. But this lazy brain is amazingly important for us to function. Sure. It's the keeper of all our experiences and the memory. Right. Okay. And it's because of this lazy brain, I don't have to relearn how to bike or drive a car mm. every day. It sounds just, like a sounds like another word for uh, Daniel Kahneman's, you know, system one, system two kind of thinking, right? One. That's yeah. exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, right? cool. Okay, yep. But, but unfortunately, it's only when our system two brain, that is the hardworking brain that is working, mm. only then we are forming new new neurons and uh, strengthening our neural networks. Sure, sure. It's only during the hardworking brain we are actually learning new skills. Yeah. Okay. So, which means that for our hardworking brain to be working, we have to be a little uncomfortable. Mm. Okay. So, for for the longest time in leadership and in human resources, we have always wanted our people to be comfortable, happy. Right. Right. But unfortunately, by creating environments which very comfortable, mm. we helping them learn new skills. Wow. See, okay. that's, a, that's a really interesting balance because I've, I've seen a, a lot of literature around that, that exact example over the last little while about creating uh, quote-unquote safe work environments. Um, and yet, yes, how to balance that with a measure of, I mean, I think even people like Anthony Robbins have been talking about it for years that, yeah, we need this stability and consistency, but we also have this need for ambiguity and, and surprise and if we don't have that a little challenge yeah right yeah so i always talk about think this situation when you go to a country for the very first time okay where you don't know the language 
and you don't speak the language and you can't read the script. Mm. And when you get off there in the airport for the very first time, how do you feel? Right. Yeah. Okay. Have you had that experience? Uh huh. Yeah. I'm about to. Which well, country, which, which country Thailand. have you been to? Thailand. Thailand. Yeah. Any other country? Um, in terms of not English speaking, that would be probably be the the most important Thailand. one there. Yeah. yeah. How was the first time when you landed there? How did you feel? Um. Oh, it was an interesting mix. It was it was exciting. Uh, it was a little yeah uncertain. It was. Um, you know, that whole thing of, you know, well, making sure I go where I'm supposed to go and, you know, how I'm going to connect from where I landed to where I'm going to be staying and just that kind of um, looking out for what was familiar and, and that kind of stuff, but also going, oh, wow, this is quite different at the same time. Um, those how were your been... senses? How were your senses? Yeah, very much heightened. Amazing. Very much heightened. Yeah, right. You're watching everything. Yeah. You're listening to everything. Mm. You're questioning everything. Mm. Okay. Yeah. There is there is excitement at the same time there's a little you know, a little yeah. discomfort. Yeah. You go to Japan and sit on the toilet and you go oh, <laughs> <laughs> Yes. It's it sings to me. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> And then you go to India and you, you see the toilet and say, oh, what is that? <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's how today people are getting more and more creative because we travel, we mm. network, we are mixing with a variety of different disciplines and questioning each other and pushing each other. So all of the stuff, is what is helping us becoming more creative and innovative. Sure. Yeah. So one of the most popular jobs today are these job rotations. Okay. Where students want to work for companies which kind of give them a three-month experience in in, in Poland and then three months in Uruguay. And, mm. and then six months they say, okay, we're going to, uh, don't, you know, let me choose where I want to work. Sure. And the smartest students are asking the question, what will your company help me learn next? Wow. So how do you balance, just on that particular thought too, um, because there's a process as well that we also need to commit to, right? That, that to, on the one hand, to go from place to place gives us these new experiences and, and heightens our senses while we're there. But equally, too, there's a need to for, for something really to be built, a committing to the process as well of achieving something yeah. great as well. So how do you yeah. balance that? So Cleveland Clinic um, is a world-famous cardio uh, for cardiotherapies. Mm -hmm. Okay. And their executives, every year or, I don't know, every couple of years, they have to have a sabbatical. Okay. They have to go to a non-medical environment and spend time. Mm, okay. Okay. They cannot a non-medical environment too. That's cool. Yeah. Not, not another uh, hospital, not to another uh, university, medical, you know, health, medical university, but they have to go to a different industry. Wow. I like that. Okay. Yeah. And then bring back ideas. Yeah. There's a small uh, uh, ad agency in San Diego called Think Parallax. Mm-hmm. And Think Parallax gives each one of its employees 
fifteen hundred dollars every year mm-hmm. and one week. Mm-hmm. They have to go to a new country they've never been to before. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. To go learn. Wow. To be exposed to completely new things. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so make it into a game. So there are only two people in the company who know where that person is going. The rest of them have to guess. All right. Okay. okay. Yep. So you can only imagine how exciting and how, you know, the mm. constantly learning new things. Mm. Huh? Mm. And even the environment, I'm thinking too, where, again, when you're insulated by a sense of a, um, I mean, I don't want to use safety as a pejorative term, but where, you know, we've got a routine going on. Whereas the moment you're celebrating a place where, yeah, you'll have uncertainty, which will mean, you know, mistakes or, or misperceptions and things like that. But that's a part of the journey to be celebrated. Yeah. It, yeah, it yeah. just creates a completely different approach as well. Um, in fact, even in um, some uh, writing of Richard Thaler, I was reading recently and just talking yeah. about how yeah. in a lot of cultures, the, the penalty for trying something and it not working is greater than the reward for just doing the same thing you've always done. So, yeah, you create this environment where people aren't innovative simply because if they did try something new, it would either be embarrassing if it didn't work out or there could be a harsher penalty on them. But what I'm taking from what you're saying in particular is a reflection again of what a culture looks like where we say, no, we value the uncomfortableness and the uncertainty that can come with these environments because we also see the value and the benefit of them. Would that be would that be a fair summary? I mean, absolutely. I mean, the, if everything is so perfect and if you remove all uncertainty, mm. life would be amazingly boring. <laughs> it would that. Right? Yeah. Where is that aha? Mm. Right? Mm. And so there is no element of surprise. Yeah. Okay. Mm. And and we humans, we love these surprises. Yeah. We live for surprises. We love, we, we want, aha. Yeah. Right? And I'm... so I think, I think we as humans, we are born to, to deal with uncertainties. But over time, we are kind of almost conditioned to not to be not be able to deal with it right can i, can I tell you something can i tell you something actually that i've been playing around with in descriptions with with other people as well like i've heard this you know i've heard a number of times people talk about how children are so um you know responsive and malleable to, to learning and things like that and adults are not and i had this thought so i'll share it with you and get your thoughts on it was that actually one of the big things for me was realizing that one of the big differences between being a child and being an adult is that as a child, you have less control over the stuff that you do. So you end up having to do a whole bunch of stuff that you wouldn't necessarily have chosen to do if it was just up to you. You know, you you go to school and you take different subjects and maybe you do extra things. And because of that, you're constantly experiencing new and different environments. And so we observe a huge amount of growth. But as you get older, you become an adult and you suddenly have the power to not do stuff. And so, like you're mentioning, we default to this position of saying, well, I'm only going to do things that I like or I'm familiar with. And I think it gives us this false sense that adults aren't able to grow and learn and develop as much. We're really, I think it's just because we've exercised our power to only do stuff that we know, only be places that we're comfortable. And then we think... 
we've lost this ability. We stopped learning. Yeah. I think they found a painting of Michelangelo mm. at the age of 87. Mm. Okay. He had made a sketch. Yeah. And down at the bottom, he had written, still learning. Wow. Right? Mm. So I think we humans, if we stop learning, we become pretty boring. <laughs> well, you mentioned right. too, there's a, a culture of having... Um of consultants, right? I mean, another word for that can be expert. And I think and my perception of that as well, you know, when we're pursuing being the expert, we're looking for this point where we say, ah, I've, I've figured it all out. I've got it all. If you need to know, I know it all. But that mental position by default limits your ability to ever learn or grow. You know, you're, yeah. you're looking to protect this position you have of expertise and knowledge. And I've observed even for myself uh, that that can be expressed in our work all the time. We want to look like the expert in what we do, but that very pursuit is the thing that limits our learning, limits our growing, because we don't want to be challenged and shown what we don't know. Yeah. Now, you know, the I always explain to executives about risk managers versus uncertainty navigators. Oh, I like that. Tell me more. That's really okay. cool. Because risk is about existing products, existing technologies, existing markets, existing business models. Mm. You have data. You can put it in a spreadsheet. You can calculate risk. And you mm. can make decisions based on what-if analysis on a spreadsheet. Yeah, right. That's risk management. Uh -huh. But uncertainty is about uncharted markets unidentified customers, unproven technologies, untested business models. Mm. And there are many unknowns and you don't have data. You can't put it into a spreadsheet and yet you need to make decisions. Mm. Yeah. And most people are not trained to be uncertainty navigators. Very true. Okay. Mo mothers with young children naturally do this. <laughs> That's such a good point. Yeah. They're all day, they're solving problems where they're not written in a manual or a textbook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we, most of the time in, in, in business world, we are asked to just manage risk. Right. Okay. Yeah. And so, so people are, there is an abundance of risk managers globally. Yeah. But as an uncertainty navigator is a scarcity. Hmm. Okay. Hmm. And at Babson, we try to train these uncertainty navigators. Hmm. The very first day they come to, to college, when they're 18 years old, they're put in a team. Yeah. And the team has to start a business. Okay. And they're given money. Mm -hmm. And most of these things go bankrupt. Sure. Okay? Yeah. But they, but they learn how to navigate uncertainty. Mm. Mm. Right. And they are trained to think like founders and the CEOs yeah. running a company. Mm. And, and just having to deal with people itself is bringing enormous amounts of uncertainty. 
Mm. It makes me think again, and I might it might have been a, a again a Daniel Kahneman observation, but just this whole idea of of the decision making process and how to make decisions about things. Uh, and I believe the illustration is along the lines of approaching these things the same way that like uh, commodity traders approach things, that they realize that you, you won't get 100% of your, your decisions correct. And all they need to do is trade at 51% and they'll make money. Uh, and so for us and for myself, again, personal lesson is that when you make life about the, you know, getting, you have to get the decision right. You know, I think that's a, a value that we have, that it has to be correct. And again, I don't think it's about being reckless, but if you just recognize that there's no way you can be 100% sure that this is going to work, you just you just can't know. And so yeah. you move forward with a measure of uncertainty that says that, well, no matter what happens, we will learn and grow through this. It makes those kind of experiences the kind of thing you can move towards a lot more happily than... I mean, I've heard people, and no doubt you have as well, beating themselves up saying, oh, we should have seen this coming. Who messed up? Who dropped the ball? Who didn't see this thing? And you go, well, yeah, sometimes is that, and sometimes it's just... No, my colleague, uh, Anirudh Debar, uh, he, he, say, he has a wonderful expression. He says, you need to wander before you wander. Cool. Tell me more about that. I like that. So it's 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 like the... Australian walkabout. Right. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You need to go and 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 become a man. Mm. And unless you go into the outback, you, you unless you face these uncertainties. Yeah. You know, you you don't know what what it means to become a man. Mm. Right. Mm. So we see this all the time in entrepreneurs. And entrepreneurs, they would. It's better to try and fail than to not try at all. Sure. They have this intense drive that they have to try it. Otherwise, they'll just they, they can't live with themselves. So, how do you create that kind of a a culture? Because as you say that, I mean, I it is a thought that I've heard a number of times, and and I think. Anybody listening would, on the one level, mentally assent to that, saying, yeah, sure, absolutely, it's better to try and fail than not to do anything. But there is a reluctance in people to to actually, when they're the ones with the skin in the game, to do that. So how do you approach overcoming that? Yeah, this is a very controversial thing, okay? Mm-hmm. There, there are a lot of studies there, and, you know, there are studies that show... 3% of the humans contribute to 50% of the GDP. Right. Okay. Okay. So there are some statistics like that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So people self-select to be either a risk manager or an uncertainty navigator. Okay. Okay. I talk to a lot of HR managers, you know, mm. leaders of talent leaders. And they say, look, 70, 80% of the time, people self-select out of leadership. Wow. They say, you know what, just tell me what I need to do. I will deliver what what needs to be done. I'm going to go home with a paycheck. Okay. Okay? Mm -hmm. So, in many, many ways, people don't want to be uncertainty navigators. They want to be just risk managers. Sure. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so in that sense, I tell I tell them that that's great because leadership is about self selection. Mm. I either like you take leadership is about self selection. That's cool. Sorry, yeah. carry on. Yeah. Uh, either either you, I mean, if you want to really lead enterprises, if you want to start companies where there are so many uncertainties. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Risk management is very necessary. Otherwise, we can't function. Mm. Okay. Yeah. To have a roof over your head and to have food every day, it's all about risk management. Mm. All right. Yeah. So, yeah. necessary. But for career to go up inside a corporate environment, risk management is is not is is, is not sufficient. Mm. It's necessary, but not sufficient. Sure. So that's where we, when we say we develop entrepreneurial leaders at Babson, these are people who can create something from nothing. Right. Rather than go buy another company. When you buy another company, you're buying risk. Whereas yeah. when you create something from nothing, you're, you're an uncertainty. You're managing uncertainty. Right. Yeah. Radical innovation versus incremental innovation. Incremental innovation is risk. Yeah. Whereas radical innovation is, is uncertainty. Okay. Okay. So that's where we are seeing that what are these scarce skills when it comes to strategy, innovation? Yeah. It's primarily these ability to manage both ambiguity and uncertainty. Mm. Right rather than pure risk mm. and those those skills are are scarce it's mm. not other common in the workplace so if somebody's listening to this right now and saying that those are skills that they do want to develop are there things that you would recommend or some learnings that you would share to help somebody become more aware of that and that uncertainty navigator? we have to give people first is we have to give people some skills uh-huh there are tools, there are methods, mm. okay? And one is give everybody a chance to, to apply some of these entrepreneurial skills. One is show them what those are, give them those tools, and give everybody a, an opportunity. And many of them will pick up the gauntlet and they'll go try these stretch, stretch kind of projects. Mm say, go build a distribution system uh, in, uh, uh, in, I don't know, in Russia. Mm -hmm. go, uh, go build a call center in India. Yeah. Okay. Do this market, uh, create this market in Kenya. Okay. So giving people these stretch goals will give them that opportunity. Mm. Well, successful or not, it doesn't matter. And yet you need to recognize that they did, in fact, go and kind of put themselves mm. in those situations that are Can... uncomfortable. So I want to apply that to, to a maybe a smaller and medium-sized um, environment then if I can quickly too because aware of those who might be listening as well who have, you know, maybe they don't have that, that larger corporate setup and I have observed that when it comes to those initiatives that they can take, 
because they seem to be you know there's a lot um, more awareness of trying to be lean with everything that's done and 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 maybe a, a heightened risk aversity because you know if something doesn't work out it's harder for the business to absorb so when you are dealing with a smaller business um what would you say are some things you can do to see that there actually in smaller businesses you're exposed to a diversity of situations because there are not that many people to solve all your problems right yeah you may you may be actually at one time an accountant at the same time customer facing yeah right yep yeah right mm. so in smaller organizations by default you're exposed to multiple challenges mm. a diversity of situations mm. and you're wearing multiple hats mm. okay it's yeah. only in the larger organizations that usually you're you're not having those multitude of experiences and something actually you said too that I want to come back to that I thought was really so powerful as well is that actually you can be, if you're prepared to copy in those kind of environments as well, instead of feeling like you've got to come up with this whole new way of doing stuff, it makes it a lot more, well, a lot less intimidating and a lot more, well, okay, well, just see who else has done this and maybe we'll just copy them and that's fine. Because I think it is, again, our ego that says, no, I want to come up with my own way of doing it, which you can. But if you adapt somebody else's or just copy them, your own innovation will show through over time anyway, won't it? Yeah. And, and, and our notions of copying are very different between the Orient and the Occident. Okay. Tell me more okay. about that. No, and, and because in, in the Orient, if you copy somebody, it's like honoring you. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. It is in the Occident. It's 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 sacrilege. Right. Yeah. Mm. So, so it's very different. Mm. Don't get me wrong. Patterns are incredibly important mm. for many industries to function. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, the way humans progress is through this hobby. Okay. Mm. So. Especially in the field of business, we we kind of really don't understand it. Mm. In the field of art, they embrace it. Wow, that's true. Yeah. Right. So so it's it's only when we start translating to things. It's like I mean, the number of times I hear uh, executives in the Occident say, uh, in the West, they say, "Oh, Chinese companies just copy." They don't know the amount of creativity that goes on in China. Right. Okay. Yeah. Tell me more about that, actually, because that, that is definitely an, an observation I've heard, too. Right. As I said before, all countries go through this. Yeah. And and if you kind of look at, well, well, Charles Dickens came to Boston mm. in 1842. Mm. And he lands in Boston and he sees all his books are being are being sold on the streets of Boston without any copyrights. Okay. Yeah. And he's appalled. He's angry. He's mad. Okay. Hmm. And he brands the country as a nation of rogues right. and thieves. Okay. Okay. U.S. went through the same thing a hundred years ago. Sure. It yeah. Copied a lot of stuff from the Industrial Revolution in England and in France. 
Right. Okay. Mm. So it's a natural progression of societies. Mm. Mm. Okay. Wow. So that is really cool. Next, and it's going to be a bunch of African countries a little later. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It, it makes me think too, just an observation about our, our culture too, that we have this um, mythology that says we should be able to come up with it all by ourselves. Absolutely. It is. I love that. It's a mythology. Yeah. And and even this idea, you know, I mean, we've heard it comes up every now and then. People talk about self-made men and women and this kind of stuff and, and how we, you know, built this company from scratch and I don't know. And you think, well... And then, as you say, the more you look into it, you go, well, actually, they learned from this person, they worked here, they saw this thing and they changed it around. And then we go, wow. And then they did it all by themselves. He said, yes, after 400 people helped them, yes, then they did it themselves. So <laughs> it's, um, to me, it almost kind of destigmatizes that, you know, to, 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 to be aware of this fact that if we're prepared to rely on others and borrow from, from one another there, it, it seems to be a natural application of what you're saying is a, is a more almost community-minded approach to to business and to life as well would that be fair yeah, yeah absolutely absolutely we we should destigmatize this copy mm, mm. and and in fact value it yeah and, and and celebrate it because it's the starting point for creativity yeah and and it's accessible to anybody yeah I like that too. Yeah. Because I've heard some people say, oh, I'm not a creative person. Yeah. Yeah. Haven't we heard that so many times? Oh, so many times. Absolutely. Um, well, look, as you mentioned then, you know, in the, in the five or so minutes we do have remaining then, um, I mean, again, your experience of this is, is, has been so, so broad um, and valuable. Um, is there anything else in terms of, you know, the major lessons that you've learned that you'd want to share in these last couple of minutes that we have? What else strikes you as as one of those key things in achieving that level of innovation that we were all looking for. No, it's for me it's fascinating because it's it's human creativity is boundless. Hmm. And you will always be fascinated by it. There's always going to be something new. Mm. Right. Uh, and at times I feel, I feel like, oh my God, I can't keep up. Yeah. I feel overwhelmed mm. of this field of innovation, but at the same time, I feel I have to be on top of it all the time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. Mm. Otherwise, I feel like if I don't bring the latest, the greatest, and the best thinking to my executives or to my students, it's like I'm doing a disservice to them. Sure. Yeah. So in some ways, it's overwhelming. Yeah. Just to keep. Mm-hmm. And I wish at times I was a mathematician where things don't evolve so fast. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, but but I think it's so dynamic. Yeah. In the last 30 years, uh, can you imagine a 
a Kiwi talking to some guy in Boston over Skype. I know, right? Tell me about it. Yeah. It's, you know, and, and ability to, you know, have a one hour conversation. Mm. When I moved 30 years ago from India to the U.S., we used to make a phone call only once a week, and it was only for 10 minutes because it was so bloody expensive. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Mm. And this, we are doing it for free. Yeah. For an hour. Almost mm. free. Mm. Mm. So what's what's next for you? What's the what What is the next... Um, step in because uh, I'm also thinking for those who want to follow your work as well who've enjoyed this uh, conversation today um, what are the next projects for you or how can they, they follow the, the things that you're involved in I, I'm lately kind of really want to we always want to train leaders for companies sure yeah but we don't train leaders in academia because knowledge and what teachers impart and what teachers do whether schooling kindergarten high school even university mm. we don't we don't train them to be great leaders mm, very true we train leaders in the in the in the workplace and the businesses and I feel that the same type of leadership kind of thinking has to be happening at all levels. Mm. And I think there's a huge opportunity there in terms of where we can take, for example, one of the things that I'm seeing is that, for instance, design thinking has kind of got, gone down to schools and to lower and lower, kind of, you know, all the way down to fifth grade, sixth grade, and stuff like that. And that's a fantastic thing. Mm -hmm. So does, when you say design thinking, you're talking about what in particular? Uh, I mean, the tools of design thinking. Okay. okay. So tools and methods can be picked up by teachers anywhere. Mm -hmm. right? But for them to be thinking like leaders... Thinking in terms of being creators of, of knowledge and pushing kids to be creators. Because today we, we consume a lot rather than create things. Yeah, very true. Yeah. Right? Mm. People are reading less and less. Mm. There are fewer writers than readers. Mm. Right? There are fewer players than an audience there mm. there are there are fewer creators than consumers mm. that will always be true yeah and it's always been true it is just that today there the amounts of consumption we are doing is just not commensurate with with kind of are we create a lot of text we create a lot of photographs with is that creating things that are of value? Mm. It is creating money for advertisers. I mean, the, uh, the Googles and the Facebooks. 
sure. 80% of the ad uh, revenue goes to these two companies. Mm. Mm. All the conversations and the text we create and consume mm. is making money for two companies. Mm. The immense amounts of times we spend on the on the web, you're not becoming more interesting. You're not becoming more interested. Instead, mm. all you is that you are sending money to California. <laughs> I love that. Right? Yeah, yeah. So we are paying with our time. Mm. Young kids paying Google, Facebook mm. with with their time, and they don't even realize that. Mm. Mm. Right. Yeah. And so that has to start early. Yeah. Put my battery in there. <laughs> That's okay. I mean, I think even when you were saying that, it made me think specifically of just this idea of value as well. You know, that we're, we're really looking at not just the the material of what we're generating and, and consuming, as you mentioned, but, you know, is there, is there real value in it? Are we, are we learning and growing and developing as a result? Or is it just kind of pointless consumption? Because if I think back to even the genesis of this conversation, if we're thinking about innovation, innovation has a direct correlation to value. Whereas you can consume something and it's gone and that's it, you know. So for us to be so well fed with so many different sources of everything, um, I think it's a great challenge for ourselves to say, yeah, but what a value are we actually getting as a result of this versus just having more stuff than the other guy. But I'm also, you have to remember, I'm coming from a highly biased position. Sure. Because I have a platform where people will listen to me. Mm, right. But for, for the most part of humanity, they don't have a platform. And mm. these are their platforms for expression. Wow, yeah. For them to speak. Mm. Mm. So I don't minimize that at all. Mm. Mm. Right? Isn't it? Yeah. Most, no, absolutely. Yeah. Most don't have a voice. Yeah. And since they're wise. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Jay Ralph, that is an amazing thought for us to wrap up on. So I want to thank you again for, for making your time to, to talk with me today. And I hope this conversation around innovation has been enlightening and inspiring for people as well. Um, is is there a, perhaps a, you know, a website or something that you could direct people to if they want more, uh, you know, more information from you or um, other resources and things? I, I put six topics always on LinkedIn and Twitter. Okay. I don't abuse my audience. It's always going to be on strategy, innovation, entrepreneurial leadership, brain research, and customer experience. Okay. So all that stuff, they can follow me on either Twitter or LinkedIn. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Jay. And um, thank you again for everybody who's been listening as well. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation. I'm always keen to hear your thoughts as well. So don't forget you can send those through to me at the Andrew Curtis Show at gmail.com. Thanks for joining us. 